Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about the message in just a moment, but by the way, I hope you're excited about the Christmas series that begins the last weekend, right, well, actually the last weekend of November, the weekend after Thanksgiving. It's by far the biggest thing I've ever been part of, and <laughs> I mean by far, I mean just not even marginally, but I, I got to tell you how thankful I am for the creative team here at New Spring Church, the publications team. You know, I remember the first time I sketched, scribbled out those words on a legal pad, uh, the real star of Christmas, and then to watch what our team does with that. So we are really blessed to have the most creative people in the universe working here at New Spring Church. And, you know, they, we all work seven days a week, but it is such a fun place to work because, you know, the chains are off. We're just free to be creative, and I appreciate uh, their work. They shot that out in Great Bend and even had Great Bend Fire Department wet down the road. I mean, that's really cool. But uh, we're just really looking forward to this series. And you, you need to go ahead and start inviting your friends. By the way, what God gave me is a vision for this series. It's a whole series about the person of Jesus. And, you know, during Christmas, I think it's fitting for us in a world that avoids Jesus at every turn for us to emphasize who Jesus is. So week one is produced by, and I can't wait to preach that message. It's a message on God the Father. I can't remember doing a whole message on God the Father in a while. So uh, week one is produced by, week two is directed by, week three is supporting cast, week four is the villain, and Christmas Eve, all of our services, the title is the title of the series, The Real Star of Christmas. So we're really getting pumped up about that. But now it's time for me to begin today's talk, which is the second talk, the middle talk of our Living Large series. And I got to kind of give you a disclaimer before I get into the message today. This message is embarrassingly simple. I mean, when you, when you walk out of here today, you're going to say, I didn't know Mark was capable of preaching that simple of a message, but you will know that today uh, because this is just the simplest, almost embarrassingly simple message. And you know, when you walk out also too, you may think, well, I'm not really sure how that applies to me, but I think if you continue to think about it throughout the day and pray about it, the Holy Spirit will give you that, that explanation that you need to your own personal heart. And one more time, let me just say this. It is a simple message. I know some of the messages, especially if I'm preaching on prophecy or like I brought a message on existentialism sometime back, it can almost be like drinking out of a fire hose. Today's going to feel like drink, drinking out of a sippy cup. So I just <laughs> want you to know that so that when I get through with the message, you're like, did Mark know that? Yeah, I know that. So this is really, really simple. In fact, it's going to begin with a simple scene, maybe the simplest scene I've ever begun a message with. A donkey is tied up. How about that for a start? That's the start of our message today. A donkey is tied up. And in Bible times, that wasn't unusual because in Bible times, there were not that many fences and donkeys, unlike today, were very valuable. Donkeys were a sign of wealth. Um, the Bible tells us that Abraham rode a donkey. Uh, Moses put his family on a donkey. And when the Bible tells us in Job chapter one, how rich he was, the Bible tells us how many donkeys he had. The reason why donkeys were valuable in Bible days is they were transportation. If you didn't have a donkey, you were walking. And if you had a donkey, well, then you had some transportation. They were sure-footed in precarious places. And there are a lot of those in the Middle East. And maybe here's the most important metaphorical truth. 
for us today. Donkeys carried loads. If you didn't have a donkey, you had to carry it yourself. But if you had a donkey, you could put, well, they were, by definition, beasts of burden. And unlike today, they were respected. They were especially respected by the Jews who, uh, with whom the Bible came through the nation of Israel. Uh, they were respected by the Jews because in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the Bible tells us that when Messiah would show up, he would show up riding a donkey. I was in Israel back in 2019. Mary Alice and I were guests of the Israeli foreign minister. And they set up the trip for us, and they took us around the country and showed us things that they wanted me to see. But also on the trip, they provided us with a guide. And the guide that was provided to us was a young man by the name of Henri who was brilliant. And he and I got into a lot of conversations as we were traveling from place to place. And, you know, I'd be sitting beside Mary Alice on my side of the vehicle, and then Henri would be across the aisle, and we would sort of turn and face to each other, face each other in the aisle and just talk back and forth about history and culture and, and all kinds of things. But I remember one day we were on our way up to the northern Galilee region, and Henri was turned in talking to me, and I was talking to him, and I said, Henri, let me ask you a question. I said, I, I know that we disagree on who the Messiah is. I believe that the Messiah has already come. I believe the Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. But I know you don't believe that. So help me understand how you look at this. When Messiah comes, how will you know Messiah? Now, I'd ask that question of a lot of friends who were Jewish, a lot of rabbi friends. And so I really wasn't all that surprised by the answer. But he said, and it's always kind of a vague answer. And he started off by saying, well, there are some who believe that when Messiah comes, he'll be found sitting with the lepers in India. And he said, there are some who believe that the Messiah is not actually a person, that it's a, an age. And I'd heard that before. I had a rabbi friend tell me that. But then he said, there are those who believe that when Messiah comes, he will show up riding a donkey. Well, of course, Zechariah 9, chapter 9 said that. And so I... I Thought that was interesting because in 2019, well, I had a, a guy provided to me by the Israeli government that when I asked him, when Messiah comes, how will you recognize him? He said, well, he might be riding on a donkey. Well, that's the reason why donkeys were important to the Jewish people. And God seems to really love donkeys. Remember, he used a donkey to preach a sermon to a money-grubbing preacher. And I was reminded of this because we were going over the script for the living nativity in my office in between services. I don't know how I missed this one, but when Jesus was, you know, when he was being carried in the body of his mother, Mary, Mary was riding on a donkey going into Bethlehem. So that's as far as I want to go with earning your respect for donkeys today. This sermon is not just per se about donkeys, except to say that donkeys were the four-wheel drive pickup trucks of their time. And we Kansans, we love our four-wheel drive trucks, don't we? I can never figure out why. I mean, why do you need a four-wheel drive in a flat state, you know? <laughs> Jesse Looper was uh, one of our trustees many, many years ago. He's a mission he and his wife Tina are missionaries now. But I remember when I got interested in getting a four-wheel drive Suburban back in the late 90s. And Jesse said to me, you know, Pastor, the great thing about four-wheel drives, you can get stuck a lot further out. <laughs> That's true. Isn't it? But donkeys were the four-wheel drive vehicles of their time. So I just give you that so that you'll have some respect for donkeys in this message. And at the beginning of our story, a donkey is tied up. I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, Mark, this is a huge series. You said it was going to be big. This is living large. Three secrets bless people know. Why are we wasting time talking about a donkey at the beginning of this message? Good question. Because I want to take you now to a story that happens in the life of Jesus. It happens the week, really, 
right before his crucifixion and resurrection. Let's read it. It's in all four gospels, so I know it's important. At least a piece of it's in all four gospels. But I want us to look in the gospel of Mark. Mark, the gospel of Mark is the first book chronologically written in the New Testament. It's probably written somewhere around 55, 57 AD. And even though it carries the name Mark, most likely this is the record of Simon Peter because Mark was his assistant. And it's so typical of Peter to just say, hey, don't put my name on this, put your name. Remember, Peter was the guy that when he was crucified, he said, don't crucify me right side up. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. So I always feel like it's fitting for, for Peter to say, Mark, it doesn't really matter. This is the Holy Spirit inspired this anyway. Don't put my name on it. Put your name on it. And so this wonderful gospel that we have, and by the way, I'm ADD, and so I know Simon Peter was ADD because we are just like this. It is also the shortest gospel. In fact, for all of you who deal with ADD, the key word of the gospel of Mark, and this is by scholars, is immediately. <laughs> So for all of you who don't like to wait, the gospel of Mark is your gospel. So let's read. Again, this is the last week of Jesus' life on the earth before he dies and is resurrected. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there. There's a donkey that no one has ever ridden. Title of our sermon, first point of the message, untie it, untie it. And if anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, point two, the Lord needs it. And point three, we'll return it soon. I told you it was a simple message. Untie it, the Lord needs it, the Lord will bring it back. And as they were untying it, some bystanders, verse five, Luke says they were the owners, demanded, what are you doing untying the colt? They said what Jesus told them to say. I was thinking about this. I do a lot of speaking for pastors. I speak for pastors' conferences. I speak for seminaries. I think I'm going to do a sermon on that. They said what Jesus told them to say. If we ever needed preachers today to just say what Jesus tells us to say. There are too many preachers giving their own opinions or giving culturally popular messages. Lord knows in our broken world today, we need men of God just to preach what the Lord tells us to say. So the Bible says the disciples said what Jesus told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. They brought the cult to Jesus, threw their garments over it, and he wrote it. There's our story. Time out. You want to be blessed today? You don't need to answer me, but I mean just in your own heart. Do you want to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? I remember back in 2010, I was just interested in studying everything the Bible had to say about blessing. And I wanted to just do a series on kind of like the ground rules of blessing. And we called the series Bless You, with the U kind of being like, you know, university, like the U in Miami, Miami University. Bless you. It was kind of like the university of blessing. What do we need to know about blessing? So I remember in that series, as I was working on the biblical definition of blessing, the one thing that became very clear to me, biblically clear, was that blessing means a, pot, a good future. The opposite of blessing is cursing, which means a bad future. So if God blesses you, it means that you have a good future. We just finished Jeremiah 29, 11. That's a series about blessing where God says, I know the plans. That's future. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. So if God's blessing is on you today, it has to do with a positive, pleasant, prosperous, in the biblical sense, future. So the question that I have to ask myself is, do I want to be blessed? Because it's not a matter of luck. 
the word of God teaches there's certain things that God can bless. See, a lot of Christ followers want to be blessed, but they don't put themselves in a place where God can bless them. So the question I have for us today is, do we want to be blessed? And the reason I ask that question is the secret that we're going to learn today in the second message in our series, Living Large, is one of the biggest things that we can ever learn about being blessed. Let's go back to the story and go to work. Jesus sends his disciples to get a donkey for him to ride. The day has come for the prophecy that Zechariah wrote about to come true. 4,000 years, people have been waiting for the Messiah. It was the day for Jesus to reveal that he was the Messiah to the world. He had picked out the donkey, or I should have said this. He had picked out the owners because he knew what the owners, how they would respond. Well, the disciples, Jesus knew the disciples were worrying about something because, I mean, think about this. Put yourself in their place. Jesus walks, goes into town with his entourage, and he tells a couple of his disciples, hey, there's a house over there. They got a donkey tied up. Just go untied. And Jesus knew the disciples were going to worry. Not our donkey. I mean, it doesn't belong to us. I mean, they didn't, they didn't want to be you know, put up against the wall and, and frisked. So Jesus said, okay, if you get over there and somebody asks you, what are you doing untying this donkey? Just, Jesus said, just tell them the Lord needs it. Just say the Lord needs it. Now, instantly, and I know maybe this doesn't relate to anybody else, but I got kind of an issue with that. And I'll tell you what it is. I know biblically that the Bible tells us that the Lord doesn't really need anything. In the, in the book of Acts chapter 17, Paul is talking to the intelligentsia of his day and the Areopagus in Athens. This is where all the elites went to, to, <laughs> to communicate their eliteness to each other. And, it, and they're pretty much like, they're pretty, they were pretty silly like the elites of our time. And they just sat around all day long at the Areopagus seeing who had the next new deal. And it was all about worshiping idols. And people in those days who worshiped all these idols believed that these idols were demanding, that these gods, as they were, wanted something from them. And so they would bring out libations. They would bring out you know, material items or something and bring it to these gods. And Paul was freaked out by what he saw with like 50 some odd gods out there at the Areopagus. And he was trying to explain to them who the real God is. And here's what he said to them. So remember I said a moment ago, we're dealing with this kind of juxtaposition of the idea that Jesus needs something, but God doesn't seem to need anything. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, Paul says to those elites, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself give, gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. And yet here is Jesus, who is God, saying to the disciples, if they ask you about untying the donkey, tell them the Lord needs it. How do we resolve that? Well, this is not a perfect illustration, but it's a good one. And you're gonna have to suspend, you're gonna have to suspend belief a little bit because I understand there are elements of the illustration I'm about to give you that wouldn't necessarily be plausible in 2022, but just work with me for a moment. Suppose a billionaire from another country is coming to you to your house to stay with you here in the United States for a few days. I don't know where you want to make the billionaire from. Dubai, you want to make the billionaire from China, whatever. Just a billionaire comes to stay with you. And he has no currency. But he's in a situation where he needs U.S. currency today. I don't know if he just needs Ubers or what, but in any event, he just says to you, hey, listen, I don't have any U.S. currency. Could, could, I, could I have $100? I'll make it up to you. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get it back to you. You would understand the dynamics of that situation. Here is a very, very wealthy person who has currency in his world or her world, but they're in a place that's not their home. 
and they don't have the currency that, that, that they need. They, they, they don't have the currency that they need to just take care of basic stuff. And so what they're asking for is not for you to give them what you have, but to let them use it. I've sat through so many messages listening to churches talk about giving money. And what I, what I heard, and maybe I heard it wrong, but I almost had the feeling that what they were saying is, look, God in heaven wants to get his hands on your stack. And, and I would hear that and think, well, if God wants my stack, he can just turn out my lights anytime and take it. But that's, see, that's the reason why so many people have a problem when God asks us to release some of our resource, whether we're talking about time, money, talent, whatever, is we don't understand that, see, the whole deal is Jesus is from heaven. I mean, the streets are paved with gold up there. They're ivory palaces. It's not like the Lord is missing currency in heaven. The problem is he just wants to do work in Wichita, Kansas. And your currency, he just wants to use. Your time, he wants to use. Your energies and talents, he just wants to use it. And it's all about the Lord needing it and us untying it. It's not that he wants to own it. He just wants to borrow it for a little while. I mean, look at the language of our text. Jesus said, if anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. I mean, I mean, Jesus could have ridden anything he wanted to ride. He could have ridden a Bentley. I mean, he could have written a, written a Gulf Stream if he'd wanted to. He could have written anything he wanted to write. I mean, he could write stuff in heaven. I read in Ezekiel about how these angels get around. It blows my mind because we don't have anything in the world like that. I mean, Jesus could roll into town riding anything he wanted to ride, but basically he's not at home and he needs something to get around and he's just saying, untie the donkey and let me use it and I'll get it right back to you. But that is how he rolls. I mean, think about the kid with the sack lunch. Did Jesus want to eat his lunch or did he want to use it? I mean, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, do you think he was going to stay in the grave? No, he, he just wanted to use it for three days. The drink of water, he asked the Samaritan woman, do you think he, I mean, he just wanted to use it. And now this donkey, he's not wanting to own the donkey. He just wants to ride the donkey. In New Spring. Never forget this. Three things are always true when the Lord comes to us and asks us to untie something that he wants to use. Number one, he always returns it with an enormous blessing. I mean, think about the kid with the sack lunch. What did he go home with? 12 baskets. Think about the Samaritan woman. He borrowed her drink of water, sent her home with living water. So number one, he just wants to use it, and, and, he, and he's, he's, he's going to do something great in your life. He's going to return it to you. Number two, something wonderful always comes out of our untied resources when Jesus bars them. See, we're still talking about that kid with the sack lunch 2,000 years later. Something wonderful came out of that. I mean, he just took the sack lunch to Jesus, but Jesus fed 20,000 people. I mean, that's the deal. When the Lord comes to you and, and he touches your heart and says, you got something that I need that I want to use, if you let him use that, he'll change the world with it. You know, by the way, isn't it wonderful just to have something that the Lord needs? I mean, here I am, picayune, you know, I'm nothing. I'm just little Mark Hoover living in Andover, Kansas, that God would look at my life and say, Mark, you got something that I need. What a privilege. Because you see, anytime you untie anything the Lord wants to use, he's going to change the world with it. I mean, you say, Mark, I'm, I'm not rich. I'm not all that smart. I'm not all that talented. Let me ask you a question. What did the kid have? He had a sack lunch. 
If all you've, I mean, you got more than that, but if all you've got is a sack lunch, Jesus can change the world. I mean, the first thing that will happen is he will return what you loan to him. And then secondly, he's going to change the world with what you let him use. And number three, you're going to get a story out of it. I mean, I think about, let's just go back for a moment with how the Lord changed the world. Think about Joseph of Arimathea. He loaned Jesus his tomb. What came out of that? How about part of the gospel? You know what the gospel is? I mean, if somebody asked you to define the gospel of Jesus, you wouldn't need to define them. All you'd have to do is take them to 1 Corinthians 15, 3, because the Bible says the gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Well, the middle plank of the gospel, that's, that's part of what Joseph did, just loaning Jesus his tomb. So the first thing that happens is that God will return his gift. The second thing that happens is that he will change the world through which you loan him. And the third thing is you will get a story out of it. The lender always gets a testimony out of it. I know I've got a vivid imagination. I can't help myself. I think about the boy with the five loaves and two fish. Think about when he's 35 years old. And you go into his house to visit him and up on his mantle, he's got 12 baskets. They're empty now. But I mean, you go into his house and he's like, you see those baskets up there? I was a kid. You know, I was 10 years old. I went, my mama let me out of school to go hear Jesus teach. And she said, before you go out of the house, you better have a sack lunch. And I took it with me. Knew what? The rest of those people didn't bring anything. And they got hungry. And Jesus said, hey, is there any food here? And I, I took my sack lunch. And look what happened. You see those 12 baskets? They were all filled. Look at those baskets. How about the Samaritan woman? You go to her house. I mean, what a great story. Here she was, married five times, sleeping with a man who wouldn't give her his name. And in one hour, she went from that walk in the boulevard of broken dreams to being a missionary that went and brought the whole town back. I know she loved the Lord and served the Lord the rest of her life, but can you see her when she's 60 years old and you go over to her house and she says, you see that water jug over there on the mantle, man, that's the one that I took to that well that day. And I thought I was dead and I thought my life was over and I carried that water jug out to get water in the middle of the day. But then Jesus came along and he gave me living water. That's the jug right there. Oh my goodness, don't even get me started on Joseph of Arimathea. You go see him, you know, AD 40, and you'll see Joseph. And I mean, here's a guy who's a senator. He's wealthy. He's got money, but he's not wanting to show you his curd. He's not wanting to show you his land. He just says, hey, I want you to go with me downtown. I want to show you something. I had this tomb prepared for me, but you know what? I don't even use it for a tomb anymore. I'm planting a garden there. We got lilies. We got Easter lilies growing there because... You know what? I loaned that tomb to Jesus. Three days later, he decided he didn't need it anymore, and he walked out under his own power, and that's the tomb right there. Oh, listen to me. If you untie something Jesus needs, he's going to bring it back to you. He's going to change the world with it, and you're going to get a story. You'll be telling about how God used you, used your life. Well, that brings us to a question. You don't need to answer it for me. I'll never know the answer unless you want me to. What do you have tied up that the Lord needs? Let me ask you again. What do you have tied up that the Lord needs? I'm not... It's natural to tie up things that we believe belong to us. You know, it's just one of the first things that kids say when they learn to talk. It's mine. It's mine. I mean, take for instance the the tithe. We're talking about God says, bring, if you're a Christ follower, bring the tenth into the storehouse, the place where the word of God is preached. But God just wants to use it. 
And just like he talked, told the donkey's owner, he'll bring it back. I mean, look at the language here. See if it doesn't sound just like Jesus. He said, let the tents come into the storehouse. Untie it so that there may be food in my house. The Lord needs it. And put me to the test by doing so, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And see if I do not make the windows of heaven open and send you down such a blessing, there's no room to receive it. The Lord needs it. Untie it. He'll bring it back. Give it, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shake it together, make room for more running over, be pouring in your lap. The Lord needs it. Untie it. He'll bring it back. Jesus talked to the disciples about the great sacrifices they made to follow him. And he said, anyone who unties it will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the, way, in the world to come. It's just the way Jesus rolls. He challenges us to bring the resources that he wants to use in this world and like the donkey, he'll bring you back with bonuses. But blessed people do understand something. And we're talking about the three secrets blessed people know. And this is the middle one. Blessed people very clearly understand that the only way God can use it and the only way we can be blessed is we have to untie it. We have to untie what we think belongs to us. What I'm about to do for the next five or so minutes could be really misunderstood. I think if you're a longtime New Springer, you're going to understand instantly because it's our culture. But if you're new to New Spring, if you're watching us on television, you could get the wrong impression here. You could think somehow I'm boasting, and that's the last thing I want to do. I just want, I, I do want to make a point. I mean, I've sat in messages where ministers talked about untying things, and, and, and it could almost feel like, well, maybe we're just all a bunch of stingy people. But I just want you to know it's just the opposite. If you're in New Spring Church today, you're not in a rich church but you're in a church with people who know how to untie it. And could I just love on you a little bit? In the last 12 months, just the last 12 months, just for world missions. And by the way, this is just stuff that New Spring Church is doing around the world. I mean, we support many missionaries. We support many mission projects. From time to time, a missionary needs something, needs a, needs a facility, needs some kind of something to help them in the ministry. New Spring Television that goes throughout the region. And this is something we never really talk about. We're on a broadcast with the INSP network that's global. So whatever happens in New Spring Church, people are seeing this in Europe. They're seeing it in Africa. They're seeing it in Asia. I mean, we're getting, we get, we get word of people's lives changing in South Africa and, and the United Kingdom. I mean, just all over the world. Just this last year, and the figure that I have is out of date, I wanted to share with you, we gave $498,000 to world missions, but now it's over half a million. And last year, I shared with you that we just had a belief that we wanted to get the gospel of Jesus out during the Christmas season. And I, I shared with you the vision that we have was to take our Christmas Eve service. And by the way, you guys, many of you helped, helped us film it by the 12th because we had to get it ready by the 12th of December so that we could get close captioning and send it out all over the country. But we were burdened to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to underserved parts of the United States. And we were in New York City twice on Christmas Eve on the most powerful television station in New York City. We were in LA, we were in Salt Lake City. I mean, we were, we were in San Francisco, we were in Seattle, we were in Chicago, we were just, in, I mean, and, and it's because of you. I would have been delighted if you had just raised $25,000. I didn't set, a, I didn't set a, a goal or anything. I just said, if this is in your heart, we, we just have this desire because people are open during the Christmas season. We want to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out. You guys raised $273,000. 
And then I came to you and I just said, well, we want to do an out, we want to be a church of outreach that reaches out into our community. And we did things like the concert down at Riverfest and many people accepted Christ. We did the concert in the park in Andover where over 10,000 people showed up. Again, many people accepted Christ. We did the living nativity where, where people drove through 500 people accepted Christ in living nativity. We're about to do that again this year. And I just said, whatever is in your heart. And you raised $178,000 for that. And then we started talking about Bibles because, see, Bibles are really important to us at New Spring. We feel like if you can get the Word of God in people's hands, their lives change. One of the things we wanted to do from the very beginning was everybody who accepted Christ, we wanted to give them a copy of God's Word. But it, uh, the ministry really got kicked off when uh, a few years back, a mother here at New Spring had a daughter in a prison in East Texas, and I pastored in Houston, and I knew this was a really, really, really rough prison. And she said, my daughter doesn't have a Bible. And Mary Alice came to me and I said, I don't, want to, I don't want to send her one of these cheap paperback Bibles with tiny print that communicate that people have no value. I said, go down to Mardell's and get her a Bible just like I preach from. Well, I'd preach from these Bibles for years. And when I led somebody to Christ, I'd give them my Bible. And I said, I want you to go down to Mardell's and buy that. I think it's like $21. I said, I want to get, prisoners don't feel like they have any value. I want her to have a copy of God's word that shows value. And then the door began to open and people began to reach out from prisons and saying, please, at that same prison, could you, could you get me one of those Bibles? And then it wasn't long before we started sending the book, uh, My New Walk with God, that I wrote. And we started sending this to prisons. And oh my goodness, our hearts were touched as we saw the letters that came from those prisoners. I never will forget the message of a chaplain in, of a prison in East Texas who wrote us and said, thank you for the Bibles, but the books are making a difference. He said, please send more. He said, we've got a makeshift baptistry out in the yard. We're about to baptize 33 women who've accepted Christ in prison. And I'm going to run out of time if I'm not careful, but I got to tell you about something, okay? This has been a little while back. Well, we, we started buying them Bibles by the case. We would just order them from a discount house, but... Um, Dan Kubish on our staff, you heard him speak last week. He just thought, what if I called Tyndale, who is the publisher for the New Living Translation? He called Tyndale and a lady answered the phone. He told her what we were doing in prisons and how we were getting Bibles to prisoners. Her heart was touched. She said, let me put you on the phone. Let me put the CEO of our company on the phone. So the CEO of Tyndale that produces New Living Translation got on the phone and heard about what you were doing in the prisons. And his heart was touched. He said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. He said, why don't you just pick out the colors that you want, the color block for it, have a letter from your pastor in there. We will put your church, we'll put your church verse on the backside and engrave your name in the front side. We'll just make the New Spring Church version of it. And he said, all we'll do is charge you the raw cost of producing that. By the way, did you know that you're in 44 prisons around the United States getting the word of God in the prisoner's hands? That's because you untied it. And I was coming back from a pastor's conference in California and I was exhausted and I was getting COVID for the second time. I couldn't get a flight back in uh, and so I was going to have to stay overnight there in, uh, in Reno and, and uh, not happy about that. I was trying to crawl into bed early because I was sick and I get this phone call from Marty Benton and Marty said, Pastor Mark, he said, there's a burden on our heart and I want to talk to you about it. He said, there are three organizations. One is Samaritan's Purse. The other is Voice of the Martyrs. He said, we just have a burden to get the Bible into the hands of Muslim people around the world. By the way, do you know the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. 
So my heart was touched by that. He said, Mark, he said, uh, I, I, I know you're busy, but he said, we're just trying to have four churches that'll start this rolling. He said, we have a vision for a million Bibles. But he said, we need four churches who each would commit $25,000. And I said, okay, uh, we'll count us for that. We were the first one he called. I said, count on us for that. So I fly back home. And you remember that was, that was in May and June. I reached out to Marty and I said, Marty, I've got a burden that we need to do something great. And I said, would you think about coming out to our, our city, come out to New Spring Church and just tell our people, give our people the vision for what's happening. And you remember that week, if you were here, you remember I said, embarrass me. My vision was for $25,000. I said, embarrass me. And you did in the most wonderful way because you raised $225,000 in two weeks for Bibles to get in the hands of Muslims. I said 25 and you said 225. Oh, here's the thing I want you to understand. Because if you're new to New Spring, you're like, okay, I guess they just talk about money all the time. Do we? No. Did I say, here's our goal? No. See, you're, you're just people who understand the secret. You know you untie it. The Lord just wants to borrow it. He'll bring it back. He's going to change the world and you'll get a story out of it. Let's just total it up, just Bibles. Just Bibles in the last 12 months. You know what you raised? $632,000 on top of all the rest of that. And then in April last year, a tornado hit my hometown of Andover. And by the way, I still glory to God. I mean, I live just a few blocks away from where it hit. And I still think, every time I drive out, I say, thank you, oh God, that nobody lost their lives in that. That's still a miracle to me to this day. Now, I will never forget when the storm passed and I got in my car and drove around and I saw the area around where I live and the devastation. And I came to you that weekend and I said, we need to do something. I didn't set a goal or anything. I just said, if God has touched your heart, just add something to your gift. And in one weekend, you raised $145,000 for the people of Andover. And I've heard so many stories. I mean, things, small things like buying a crib, buying a crib for a family that, I mean, just think, we, we don't know what that's like to lose everything in a house but just a crib where their baby could sleep that night. We, we, there are single mothers who had insurance on their automobiles, but they didn't have any deductible and they wouldn't have no way to get transportation. We provide lodging for people that were stuck. I mean, that's what you did as a church. I mean, the stories that came in from the change you made in the city of Andover, I mean, you untied it and the Lord used it. One of the worst things that I can remember happening geopolitically in my lifetime, the bully Russia invaded Ukraine. And we were hearing stories, and, I, and, and for days I was burdened about, what do we do about Ukraine? Isn't it great, great the way the Holy Spirit works and leads? I was flying back from doing a pastor's conference in California, and I, I was in Denver, and all of a sudden I heard a voice call out, Pastor Mark. And I walked over to this gentleman. He wanted to meet me, and I said, where have you been? And it turns out he's a longtime, very successful Christian businessman, but he now was on the board of, a, of an organization that was getting help for for people in the Ukraine. He said, I've been out to LA and he started telling me about people that didn't have clean drinking water and they didn't have food. And it was like the Holy Spirit just got all over me. And I came back to you and I just said, I'm burdened about this and I want to do something about it. And in one week, you raised $137,000 for the people of Ukraine. You know what you did? You put food in people's mouth. You put clean water in people's mouth. I just got a message from the head of this organization. He just texted me this week and he said, he said, Pastor Mark, the gift of New Spring Church is making so much difference. I mean, for a good while they would bring in supplies, food and medication, but it would go into the town square and a lot of elderly people weren't able to get down to it. And because of your gift, they were able to take food and medical supplies to elderly people who are in Ukraine. And this week, the Jonathan Burness, who's head of the organization, he called me back and said, Pastor Mark, we're getting into the worst part of the winter. He said, it's coming up very soon. He said, because of your gift, he said, we're able to, to produce 
inexpensive wood stoves so that people are not gonna freeze to death in the winter. And that's what you did because see, you untied it. Now, I didn't set the goal. You set the goal. You untied it. Lord's gonna bring it back. He's gonna change the world. Think about all the stories you're gonna have in heaven. Every Christmas season, and we're about to do this again, every Christmas season, we participate in something called Project Generosity. In Project Generosity, we do several things. Number one, we, we bring supplies for underprivileged schools. We bring supplies for the Pregnancy Crisis Center. And this last year, we got involved financially in helping four organizations. His Helping Hands, which is a local organization that gets just basic items that people who are impoverished need. And I mean, the, the scope and the breadth of his helping hands is massive. And then uh, uh, Fresh Hope, uh, Connie Heidelberg sat right down here in the service last night. God gave her a vision for doing something for women who've experienced the worst of life. Almost all have been abused. They've been mistreated, pushed aside, forgotten. And Connie just had a vision to take to take those who have gone through those difficult seasons and to make sure they had life skills, to help them get transportation, help them get jobs, and most of all, teach them the skills, both life skills and spiritual skills. Last night I said, Connie, I said, you guys have graduated over 1,000. Connie said, now it's over 1,100. Fresh hope. Union Rescue Mission that ministers to the homeless out there on the streets. And Voice of the Martyrs, which was a new ministry to us last year, because here's the thing, your brothers and sisters in foreign countries that are hostile to the gospel. Many of them are suffering persecution. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you the question. When, when mothers and dads are arrested for their faith somewhere in the world, who, who takes care of their kids? Who feeds their kids? Who shelters their kids? Who buys clothes for their kids? The answer is you did. Because last year we partnered with Voice of the Martyrs to take care of children and wives and of, of those who were family members of believers who were being incarcerated and persecuted and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Last year, when the total project generosity was, when, when it was founded, you, do, you gave almost a million dollars. And we were able to give each of those ministries a check for a quarter million dollars nearly. You untied it. And I know, I know I'm making somebody uncomfortable. Like, I knew they were going to come to church, they're going to talk about money. Listen, just keep it. Don't worry about it. I mean that with all my heart. Don't worry about it. There are people here who'll, who'll do it. There are people who understand the secret. See, they understand God's not trying to get his hands on their stack. That's what's bothering you right now. They know that God just wants to use it. He'll bring it back. He'll change the world. So, so just hold on to your money. We never pressure anyone to give. This one is so new, I haven't even had a chance to tell you about it. I had the privilege of speaking in a church in Mexico in a town that's a great deal like Wichita. There's nothing for tourists to go to. All they do is they, they, they manufacture stuff. It reminds me of Wichita. No theme parks, no beach, no mountains, just, just work. City had 600,000 a few years ago, has 3 million right now. I was in a great church, Horizonte Church. I was there for a number of days. I was there for two days doing a men's conference. 900 men came from all over Mexico to that men's conference. On Sunday, I preached to 1,800 people in the church in a tent. I mean, they have a tremendous kids ministry. They have great guest services ministry, incredible worship ministry, but they're in a tent. 
And I never will forget what happened during the invitation. I preached in the invitation. They had 21 auto workers all the way across the front prepared to talk to people who were coming forward to make a decision. I looked in the invitation. Every altar worker was busy. I've never seen this before. There was a line of people up through the middle of the, of the tent waiting for a free altar worker. Wow. I, I'll show you pictures sometimes. I went over to their kids' world. There are 400 kids there in a tent, and they're trying to build two campuses. And I just, I couldn't get that out of my heart. And I went to our board and said, what if we just adopt this church? Think about how good God has been to us. Think about the facilities that we have. What if we just adopted this church? And I said, they need to build two kids' buildings. Each one's going to cost $100,000. I said, guys, what if we just bought one of their kids' buildings? We just sent $100,000 to them this week. And when that's all totaled up, you, you guys gave $3 million, not to New Spring Church, not to what happens on this corner. You gave $3 million to the cause of Jesus Christ outside our walls. We'll never see it again until we get to heaven. But the Lord needed it. I mean, he, he, needed, he needed to use your funds for the people of Andover. He needed to use your funds for the women who have been abused to go to Fresh Hope. He needed to use your funds for the people in the Ukraine. But uh, you untied it. And you said, Lord, here's what we have. Again, we're not a rich church. We're just a generous church. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. The Lord needs it. We'll untie it. He'll bring it back. He'll change the world. And boy, are we getting some stories. Here's why I said this could be misunderstood. If you're new to New Spring, you could think that I just said that to boast. That's not our style here. In fact, I didn't even know how much you had raised. I just got curious to that. I thought, I wonder what it's been in the last 12 months. <laughs> we don't make a big thing of it. I notice every once in a while, some multi, multi-million dollar corporation will give a gift far smaller than you gave last year, and it'll be in national media. And we don't even tell local media about it. They just don't understand untying like you do. And we're fine with that anonymity. We kind of want it that way. There's a song we sing. We, I love this song. I told Austin, I want this at my funeral. Of course, I'm really hoping I don't die. I hope Jesus comes. I'll just go ahead and sing it in heaven. <laughs> but this is our song. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. And this is my favorite part of the song. So let me go down, down, down in history as another blood-bought member of the family. And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. So if you think we're boasting, you just don't know us yet. But for all of you who gave and give, your name is known in heaven. They know about you in heaven. Jesus knows you untied it. The Lord needed it. He'll return it. Well, let's wrap this up. Our human nature wants to tie up what we think belongs to us. And I've talked about money today, but I gotta be honest with you. I have a lot easier time untying money than I do untying time. Some of us have our time tied up. Some of us have our 
abilities tied up. You know, we have a, a thousand volunteers just about every weekend here at New Spring, and we couldn't do what we do without. But I have this amazing vision sometime. What would it be like if all the five, six, seven thousand people who attend New Spring, what if we all did that? What if we just all untied our gift? Because see, this thing, you got, you got some kind of gift the Lord needs. You say, me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm busy. Well, yeah, I know that. But the Lord needs it, see? The Lord needs what you have. I mean, I think about, you just look at the staff here at New Spring. I mean, we've got people that are great with graphic arts. We've got people that are great with technology. We've got great people who, we got people who have all kinds of gifts and skills that the church, churches didn't need 30, 40 years ago, but all these unique gifts, it's like you got something that the Lord needs. Untie it, untie it. I haven't even brought this point, but I'm just gonna touch it like ringing a bell for a moment. I gotta realize that the Lord asked me to untie something. If he needs it, I don't need it. At least I don't need it today. He wouldn't want something and I need. I just have it tied up. I just think it belongs to me. If he, if he needs it, I don't need it today. And then anything we untie for the Lord, he returns. And remember, there'll always be a blessing. He'll change the world with it, and you'll get a story. Well, that's the message today. I told you it was simple. It's like drinking of a sippy cup, isn't it? Boy, it's sure good what we got out of it, though. If I'm talking to anybody today and you kind of resent this message a little bit, forget about money, forget about time, forget about abilities. I love you enough to tell you your problem's more basic than that. Your problem is your heart is tied up. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You know, I, I worry about a lot of American Christians, so-called, I think, there's, I think there are millions of people in America who go to church and have this idea, I'm gonna like give God a little bit of time, but then I'm really gonna live my life the way I wanna live it the rest of the time. And somehow that person has misunderstood the gospel, fatally misunderstood the gospel. You know what the definition of sin is in the Bible? You're like, well, and oftentimes people are like, well, doing this or doing that, picking on something. You know what the definition of sin is in the Bible? In the book of Isaiah, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And then the next line is, the Lord has laid our iniquity on Jesus. So what that points back to is the fact that God's idea of sin, God's definition of sin, is us going our own way. The problem is, there are a lot of Christians who think they have hell insurance, but they're really living their lives with their heart tied up. God, I want to do what I want to do. If I like what you asked me to do, then I might give you a little bit of time, energy, attention. But true salvation happens when we untie our hearts and we recognize that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. And we say, Lord, everything I am, I turn over to everything you are. Has that ever happened in your life? I mean, some of us would have to honestly say, I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm living life on my own terms. And what we don't understand is that is the definition of sin. That is what sends us to hell. 
It's not a specific sin. It's this determination that I'm going to live life on my own terms. I'm going to, it's like the song that was popular back in the 80s. My heart belongs to me. Untie your heart today. When I mean the heart, I'm not talking about the pump in your chest. I'm talking about who you are on the inside, your, who, who you really are. I mean, you, your love, your, your, your passion, your, your desire, all that you are on the inside, untie it today and, and come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness, receive everlasting life. And you can do that right now. I'm not asking for your money. I'm not asking for your time. I'm not asking for your talent right now. I'm just saying untie your heart and put it within the Lord's reach. Would you bow your head with me, please? You say, Mark, I want to settle that right now. Well, you can because the Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer slowly. And if you want to pray it with me, you can settle that right now. You can untie that heart and you can give it to Jesus. And oh my goodness. He'll change the world with you. He'll bless you for the rest of your life and eternity and the stories you'll have to tell. And you'll say it all started on a November Sunday in Wichita, Kansas at New Spring Church. I sat there, I watched on television, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Here's the prayer. Dear God, I am a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord, which means I untie my heart and I turn everything I am over to everything you are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, if you're watching on television or watching online, text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. Follow the steps and I will mail you what I'm about to talking about about to talk about. There's a New Spring Bible. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God and a journal. If you're on campus in any of our auditoriums, all you got to do is text PRAY to 97,000. Go back to any info center on our campus and you can walk out of here with this today. Just say, I prayed with Mark. That'll do it. God bless. See you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.